The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There are entrepreneurs and business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're also giving back to the community, and so can you. Welcome to Be More, Achieve More, inspiration for the entrepreneurial mind with host Chris Cooper. If you are looking to make the most of yourself and your business, then you will want to stay tuned for the next hour. Here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hi, it's Chris Cooper of BeMoreAchieveMore.com and CC1Consulting.com. Delighted to be back with you again for yet another week. I hope to... Um, uh, firstly, I'd like to say a big thank you to my guest last week, who was Rachel Taplin. And Rachel talked to us about PR, about public relations. And I really reflected on on some of her ideas afterwards. I've made a, a couple of pages of notes. And it got me thinking about the importance of identifying and nurturing relationships with your media contacts. Um, and also the point that it, perhaps it's far more effective use of our time than, um, than excessive social media. You know, develop the media contacts, get on the radio, the TV if you're wanting to promote your brand, and then you can use social me- media to have something to say. Um, uh, this week um, I've uh, been out busy working with clients and I was facilitating a business development strategy uh, two days this week. And my takeout for it is maybe something that you might want to consider as well. And I was thinking, you know, how can I be doing what I'm doing in a bigger way? I'm not getting any younger and none of us are. And the time to be moving our business up to the next level might be 2014. It certainly is going to be for me. Um, so what are you doing going to do in 2014? How are you going to take your business to the next level? And I hope to give you lots of ideas to do that. And one of those ideas might be to explore new markets. So today's show is about how to do business in the Middle East and Asia. And with my guest and friend, Amir Qureshi, And there's no doubt that many businesses trade well with the Middle East and with Asian markets. Maybe your business does too. However, you know, dealing with clients in these countries and the supply chains, if you're kind of an outsider, uh, can be really challenging. I I meet many businesses who have maybe outsourced their um, telecoms uh, conference, sorry, uh, conference centers um, over to, say, India, for example, or they're sourcing products from China. And some of them are actually starting to bring their supply chains back because it's getting too complicated and culturally challenging to manage because there are big cultural differences. Go into it blind and you can get stung. Amir Qureshi, my guest, lives in Pakistan And he's a highly experienced finance and management professional with a track record of working across lots of different uh, industries and countries. As as he is in Pakistan, uh, there is a small risk that we do lose each other with technology between the United Kingdom, Pakistan and the United States um, is um, our that's what we're utilizing at the moment on via Skype. So apologies if we lose him at any time. He will reconnect. 
As a consultant, Amir specialises in strategic and financial planning, strategic management and leadership. He undertakes projects in, or has done in Australia, Dubai, Kenya, as well as Pakistan. He's a sought-after speaker and presenter at events and on the TV, as well as a successful published author in the areas of leadership and small business management. The A to Z of Healthy Small Business is a highly regarded resource for small business owners. His most recent book, Leadership Insights, Success Strategies from Pakistani CEOs, reflects his significant experience with CEOs, boards and management teams. He's worked with international firms, including KPMG and Deloitte, and is founder of My Biz Pakistan Foundation, an enterprise platform helping young people start a business. So who better to ask about how to deal more effectively with these markets than Amir Qureshi? Welcome, Amir. Hi, Chris. How are you? Absolutely brilliant. And, uh, and I've uh, now got the heater on. I'm now nice, nice and warm. What's it like in Pakistan at the moment? Well, it's been pretty cold, actually, but perhaps not as cold as parts of the United States. Uh, but it is still pretty cold. I was just uh, I was talking a couple of days ago or connecting with a good friend of mine, Dr. Steve Levinson, who's been on this program before. And he was telling me it was actually colder last, uh, I think last week than, uh, in, than it was in Mars in Minnesota. So <laughs> That's interesting. It must be really cold. Yeah. <laughs> so, Amir, do you, want, do you want to start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you came to now to live in Pakistan and, and work in four different markets? Well, Chris, uh, our family moved from Pakistan to Australia many, many years ago. In fact, we were amongst the first migrants of um, uh, Pakistani origin to go to Australia. We went in, se- in the 70s. I was quite young. So I grew up in Australia. I worked there. I became an accountant and so on. And after living there and building a successful business and so on, I was just wondering what to do with my life. When I got, when I got to about 40s, some people call it midlife crisis, you know. I had a successful business. On the surface, we had everything. Successful practice. I was running my accounting firm. We had a nice big house. But I just got bored. So I decided I needed another challenge. And uh, we wanted to do something different. And amongst various other things we wanted to do, my wife and I, we wanted to travel and see the world. And, you know, Australia is such a long long way from the rest of the world that it's just not possible to see the world. So we decided to take a plunge and try and live in other parts of the world. And just one thing led to another. We ended up in Pakistan, then in Dubai, then in Qatar, and now back in Pakistan. And I've been out of Australia now for almost bordering on nine years. It's gone very quickly, and I've seen a lot of the world as a result. I I, uh, I worked in Pakistan, sorry, in, not Pakistan, in Australia myself for a period of time, and I think it was only when I when I'd been there for a few months, I really started to realize you know, the, some of the benefits of, for example, living in Europe and why there are so many Australians here, because it, it's, it's, it's a great country, but it's, it's vast, isn't it? It is. And in, right. even though I lived there most of my life, I have not been able to see all of Australia. Uh, but since we've been away, I mean, thankfully, I've had the opportunity of going to all these countries that I always wanted to visit, like Greece and Italy and Austria and, uh, you know, some of the African countries. And that's why I'm really enjoying, as much as I miss Australia and my family is still in Australia, I do miss uh, uh, not being there. But I enjoy the travel and the lifestyle which comes with living in, in uh, some of these other countries. And, and I mean, you said you were you know, a 40-something accountant with a successful firm. And, okay, you got a bit, got a bit bored, but you, know, you left a comfortable lifestyle. Um, I mean, to, to move to a developing country such as Pakistan, 
and I'd be interested to know what you think of, of what it's like living in Pakistan now. Uh, it feels like uh, you know, a significant change, really. It was, actually, and it's not something I had planned. Uh, when you mentioned my first book, The A to Z of Healthy Small Business. That was uh, released in Pakistan after it was uh, published first in Australia. And I simply was on a lecture tour. I was visiting universities and, you know, and wherever I could find young people to talk to them about small business and entrepreneurship and that kind of stuff. And I happened to have been invited to a university And I did not know much about this university at the time, except they had a very nice campus. I finished my lecture, and uh, when I finished, there was a gentleman waiting at the door, said, the dean of the business school wants to speak with you. So, frankly, I didn't even know who this person was, but I went to his office. He was very polite, and he said, we would be absolutely delighted if you could come and work uh, at this university. And I said, well, there are few problems. First of all, I don't live in Pakistan. Secondly, um, I have no plans of coming. And thirdly, you could never afford to pay me uh, what I deserve to get paid. So really, it's a non-starter, but thanks for, the <laughs> thanks for the invitation. And I left, you know, went back to Australia. And then one day, it just occurred to me that it would be a nice thing to do to work with these young people, teach them about accounting, teach them about life and what the rest, how the rest of the world operates. And uh, Everything just came together and I worked in the university for a year or two. Uh, in that period of time, I was able to create so much interest in the accounting profession that they told me that they'd never had as many people wanting to enroll in accounting as they did when I taught it. And it was just a different way of teaching, different way of relating to people. And that's what I find really satisfying about working in, and living in Pakistan. You can really make an impact. Excellent. And how have you found being, you know, a business leader and leading a business in, in Pakistan and I know you also worked in Qatar and Dubai. I mean, what are the differences from say Australia? Which yes. is well, probably far more similar to some of the audience who are listening to this based in, in Europe and, and America. And the absolutely. Well, Chris, the first thing I suppose the listeners in, uh, in the developed countries need to realize if they've not had first-hand experience in visiting countries like uh, India, Pakistan, or some of the Middle Eastern countries is that the rest of the world is very, very different from the United States, United Kingdom, and Australia. So doing business in uh, Pakistan or in uh, Qatar is so different that you really cannot appreciate it until such time as you actually have to do it uh, hands-on. And It's a combination of things, you know, it's the culture, it's the impact of religion in some of these countries because these Islamic countries, um, the religion is quite a strong influence in the way things are done. The people are very different, the word practices are different, <laughs> their capacity to produce is different. So there is nothing that is similar uh, when you come to this part of the world. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think are the, the main problems that companies from from Europe and the US, Australia, etc., um, find when they try and work in the Middle East. We've got just a couple of minutes before we go to commercial break or Asia. Okay. Uh, essentially, when people from the West come to these countries, they expect that things will be more or less the same. And one of the uh, things to remember is that even if you find in some of the Asian countries there is a perception that things may be similar, uh, that's the farthest thing from the truth. So, Even if everything looks and feels the same as the West, uh, deep down things are very, very different. And amongst the challenges you have, it's a legal system, it's a lack of uh, protection for your intellectual property rights, 
these kind of things create big problems for Western companies when they come into this part of the world. Mm. Uh, and, and other good ways of, you know, really starting to to understand some of that before you get involved, or, or is it better that you connect with the local people, for example? Well, I think it's like anything, you need to do quite a lot of research. And when we talk about Middle East or when we talk about Asia, uh, we're generalizing a lot. So Middle East is very diverse. Some of the countries are very different. Uh, even the difference between, say, Qatar and Dubai, which are only like a 30-minute flight from each other, they are very, very different countries to do business in. Uh, similarly, India and Pakistan, even though we share a history and so on, uh, they are quite different. So you really need to uh, be very specific about which country in Asia or which country in the Middle East you want to do business with. Then you need to start planning and researching and talking to your trade commission if they happen to have people on the ground there. That's always a good place to start. Excellent. Well, we're going to get a commercial break now. But after the break, we're going to start to tease out some of these cultural differences that we need to be aware of when we're dealing with people in the Middle East and some of these Middle East countries and and, and Asia. So we shall be back with you again in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune into Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash World Talk Radio. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. 
Hi, this is Chris Cooper, BeMoreAchieveMore.com. I'm with Amir Qureshi, who's speaking to me live from Pakistan. And we're talking about how to do business in the Middle East and also Asia. Uh, so, Amir, we were talking about the, you know, these different markets and the fact that you know, there's huge variety even in the Middle East and obviously across different Asian countries. But let's start with the Middle East first. I mean, what cultural differences must we be aware of when we're dealing with people in, in that area and region in particular? Okay, Chris, first there are some general kind of uh, things we need to be aware of, and then I can talk more about uh, specific business-related things. Firstly, uh, in the Middle East, most of these countries are Islamic countries, and religion is really a critical part of the societies. So when you come from the West, uh, you know, people are perhaps a bit more relaxed about their religion and beliefs and whatever. But here people take these things very seriously. So religion plays a critical part, and you you must respect uh, the beliefs and the culture that goes with it. Even though Dubai, on uh, on the one hand, is very liberal, appears to be liberal from a distance, but deep down inside, it is an Islamic country. So you must respect these things. And simple things that, you know, you could do in the West without thinking about could land you into serious trouble. For example, if you had an argument on uh, while driving your car with someone, and it, if it happened to be a local Emirati or a Qatari, uh, or if you were a bit tipsy after having a few drinks and you were a little bit loud, those two things could get you straight into jail without any questions asked. Uh, so just a simple word of advice that you need to realize you're not in the West and, you know, these little things can actually create big problems. Coming back to, I suppose, from a business perspective, uh, one of the things I would say uh, is when you go from the West uh, and you get an opportunity in a country like Qatar, which is flowing with cash, you must still be very patient and you must wait for everything to be signed, sealed and delivered before you start uh, doing the work or delivering your service or supplying your product. What I found while I was working there is people get so excited when they get a, an opportunity uh, to do business in Qatar, for example, that uh, they often take, uh, you know, expedite things from their end. And if there is ever a problem subsequently, they don't get paid. And I saw that with many, many companies coming from the West. So you have to wait till everything is signed, sealed, and delivered. The second thing about this part of the world is that people do not like to say no. So if you pitch your business to someone or if you're looking to do business with someone, they will never categorically, categorically come out and say no. They may stop communicating with you. They may stop answering your phone calls. And that's supposed to be a signal for you to give up. You cannot get aggravated. You cannot start abusing them because, again, that's not something that culture appreciates. And finally, uh, one uh, other key difference between the West and the, this part of the world is here it is all about relationships. So, you know, you have to build the relationship before you can ask for business. They really dislike, especially in the Middle East, they dislike the briefcase consultants, people who come for a quick trip and expect to sign a million-dollar uh, deal by the end of the day. Uh, people just laugh at those kind of uh, people and say, you know, we're never going to do business with these people. So how long do you think it will take then to, to, to establish a relationship in that sort of a market where, uh, you know, there would be a sense of, I guess, trust and, uh, you know, and a proper relationship can yield to work? That's a good question. And it, I suppose it depends on the nature of the business or the transaction that you're uh, wanting to engage in. Sometimes it might just be a matter of weeks. But if you're talking about a large scale business enterprise or 
taking, let's say, a franchise into another country, uh, setting up a chain of restaurants or fast food outlets. That could take six months to a year by the time before you feel comfortable actually doing business with these people or they may feel comfortable with you. Yeah. So, so actually, the you mentioned there about kind of wheelchair, sorry, the wheelchair, uh, briefcase, <laughs> briefcase consultants, <laughs> a briefcase consultants, um, people you know flying in trying to do business. Actually, it's, it seems to me that you need to be on the ground there for a period of time to really yes. understand. Yes, I think you need to uh, you need to be on the ground. You need to understand uh, the market, build relationships. Another key piece of advice and very practical one is that. In countries like uh, Qatar and the Emirates, the final decision maker most of the time is the local. We call them locals, basically. So it'll be a Qatari or an Emirati who will make the final decision. So if you're trying to pitch a service or sell something, uh, you may end up spending a lot of time with the expats. But just remember that the ultimate decision maker is going to be uh, someone uh, who's actually a Qatari or an Emirati. So you cannot ignore them. In fact, from a selling point of view, you need to keep them uh, top of mind and make sure that you focus all your energies towards them. Uh, yeah, some really good points there. I think that point, you know, in the West, we can we can do things sometimes on almost gentlemen's agreements, you know, without yes. necessarily formally signed contracts and agreements. Which, if uh, if someone says yes, we assume that that means it's it, to something. It's all go on occasion. So that's really good advice to get things signed and sealed and not start investing cash in your marketplace on something yes. until it is fully agreed. Yes, because the consequences uh, are unfortunately that you could have done the work and not get paid and could just be a technicality. And the person who sort of encouraged you to rush in and do all this work uh, will not want to speak to you at that time. <laughs> so how about uh, when you're dealing with people in Asia from your experience? Well, um, in Asia, if we talk about, uh, let's say, uh, South Asia or Southeast Asia, where I've done quite a lot of business, one thing is that everything takes a long time. So, you know, what we can do in the West in 24 hours, like if you want to set up a company or something in the UK or US or Australia, you can do it in 24 hours. In Asian countries or Middle East, that can take weeks. So you have to learn the art of patience. That's the first thing. Mm. The other thing is depending on which country, and again, one must not generalize, but there is often an expectation of kickbacks in some of these Asian countries. Um, so you have to have thought about what, how you will react in case you're actually approached. So because don't act surprised when it happens, because it happens quite frequently. Uh, the other issue, I suppose, with Asia is that you have to be very, very careful with your intellectual property. Because if you go with an idea or a business concept, uh, you know, people, will, uh, people may actually just steal that idea. I mean, would you believe, uh, you know, everyone, without giving plug to any company, but everyone knows about KFC. Well, in Qatar, you have WFC. In Pakistan, you have AFC, HFC. These are companies which are basically leveraging of the goodwill of that organization. They could never get away with it in the West. But here, they've built successful uh, businesses and franchise models and making lots of money. Mm. Very difficult to pursue it. Yes, there's nothing you can do really. No. no. Um, so, how should we, I mean, um, what are your kind of tips to really interpret when, uh, I know you said to me that 
you know, someone, someone might say something like, for example, they might never say no. I yes. guess what you've got to do is maybe look at things like their body language to ensure we get a better sense of what they actually mean. Um, you know, any tips on maybe interpreting the real intent behind a communication? Generally uh, speaking, we have to realize that, uh, you know, the, the cultures in these countries go back centuries and the things like hospitality and generosity are inbuilt in these cultures, whether we're talking about Middle East or uh, Asia. So sometimes people from the West actually misunderstand the hospitality that's being shown as uh, meaning, yes, we're going to do business with you, mm. which, which is something which is very subtle, but they will still be polite to you even if they're not going to do business with you. So that's the first point. Uh, the second thing is you could be in a meeting and, you know, things, you might think things are going okay, but all of a sudden the person decides not to pay you any more attention. That's a signal for you to get up and leave politely, thank them for their time and walk out. This is again subtle, but you have to be looking out for these kind of signals. Yes. Uh, the other thing is you could be quite an important person from the West. You go to meet someone in Qatar or in Dubai, you may be kept waiting for as long as an hour or an hour and a half. This used to happen in in an organization that I worked with in Qatar frequently. At that time, you cannot show your frustrations. You cannot walk out. You just have to accept this is how they do business. And perhaps they have something more important to do. Or perhaps they just want to remind you that they are the clients and they're going to pay the bill. And you just have to eat humble pie at times like that and just you know go with it. Take a few deep breaths and just accept and these are little things that uh, really frustrate people like us who go to this part of the world to do business. So we've got to leave our egos behind. Absolutely, as far away as you can. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we need to do to ensure, for example, our, our trade is done safely and also without risking breaking laws or religious beliefs in these markets? Any, any tips there? Well, I think one of the points that we mentioned before, Chris, was that wait for the contract to be signed. Uh, always look out for how the payment is going to be made. Uh, so sometimes Asian countries, you do the work and then the payment is not made or you didn't ask for advance payment or a portion of it in advance. Or sometimes even things like letters of credit are not with a bank that uh, is reputable and they could go back on it. These are things that you're not conditioned to or you don't think about this in the West because they just don't happen. Uh, the best way, I think, is to work with credible local partners. Now, it's not always easy to do, but if you can find good local partners, that makes life much, much easier. And in some countries, you have no option but to have local partners anyway. And is advanced payment a standard then? It's, it's, it's yes, I think most, uh, most companies or most countries that you're dealing with would uh, agree to a certain po uh, portion being paid in advance. Uh, it's, again, open for negotiation and discussion, but generally speaking, they would agree to it uh, because, after all, you're also taking a risk doing business in that country. And, and are, there, are there people who are maybe less, less discernible who might, for example, look to do trade with people outside of their marketplace so they can get some free services for nothing? <laughs> Yes. One thing about, I suppose, one of the um, things I want your listeners to uh, realize, is, especially when we talk about Asia, nothing is ever as it first appears. So when you find someone, you meet someone, and they appear to be overly nice or an extremely successful person, the, the fact 
is that they may not necessarily be. It just might be a front. So, you know, don't take things at face value is the real message. Right. <laughs> we're going to get a commercial break again. And after the break, we're going to look at how Amir would recommend that we best start doing business in these markets. What are the first things we should look to do? So we should be back again with you in just another couple of minutes. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program. One-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be? Or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper, and I do love to hear from you. If you want to email me at info at bemoreachievemore.com and let me know um, what you're taking from the show, if you've got any questions for, uh, for Amir etc and i'll pass those on um so how would you recommend Amir, that we best start doing business in the middle east if we're doing it for the first time okay chris well actually one thing we must do is uh, figure out exactly which part of Mid- the middle east we're talking about because each country is very very different uh, some of them have similarities uh, but most countries within um, the middle east that we're talking about are quite diverse. We've been focusing on Qatar and Dubai. Those are the two markets I know quite well. Uh, So identify which particular country and then develop a strategy based around it by doing research and, you know, visiting the place perhaps. Because if you're going to do business with some place, just go and visit, at least get a feel for what it is like. Because you cannot rely on just websites or, you know, what... uh, the country's um, own website might be saying about how tourist-friendly it is or how business-friendly it is. So you must go and visit. And in most of these countries, unfortunately, um, you have no option but to have a local partner. So with the exception of Dubai, which has now set up these free zones where you can have a company which, as an expat, you can own 100% of, uh, in Qatar, you will need a local partner. In Saudi Arabia, is the same. And I believe Kuwait must be the same as well. So you need to find a reputable, credible local partner. Now, that sounds very easy, but uh, it's not that easy. So, again, you have to hit 
the streets, find, go to some law firms, go to accounting firms, um, meet uh, people from your trade com uh, commissions, and uh, identify good, reputable local partners that you can have on board. Once you get these people on board, then everything is much, much easier because they know the system, they know people, and a lot of it in the Middle East still is about relationships. You can have things done just uh, when you know the right people, or otherwise the same thing could stretch out for months and months. Yes, uh, we, we, I had a company a, a number of years ago where we used to source products from the Far East, and we had a, we had a, a partner in, in Hong Kong, uh, and they, mm -hmm. they used to source for us on our behalf. Uh, we, we couldn't have managed without them. <laughs> yeah, right. you know. So, I think, yes, local partners are absolutely critical. And there are some obviously very well-connected locals who are always looking to expand their own business empires by connecting with international companies. In fact, a lot of them operate nothing more than uh, having 51% share <laughs> in uh, foreign <laughs> brands that want to do business in that part of the world. I guess one of the things we can do as well is we can we can look to businesses who are, are trading in those markets and maybe ask them who they are they are using as their local partners so we yes. you know get some credibility from you know our markets too rather than just doing it on the ground. Yes, I think uh, any kind of market intelligence and talking to people who are already on the ground doing business in these countries that's where you'll get the best source of information. Excellent. What about what about countries such as Pakistan and India and those sorts? Well, of let's talk about Pakistan first, since it's close to, close to <laughs> my ear and close to my heart. Uh, apart from the business risks we've been talking about, like you know, lack of intellectual property protection or the legal systems that don't work effectively, uh, Pakistan unfortunately has risks of a different type at the moment. You know, ever since this war in Afghanistan started, uh, Pakistan has been badly affected, and as a result. People are reluctant to do business with Pakistan. On a positive side, though, it's a country of more than 180 million people. That's almost like, I think, the size of Europe. Uh, so there are opportunities. And if you're not frightened by, you know, this, what you hear in the news, and I have to say things are not as bad as uh, you might see on BBC or some of these other news channels. Uh, a friend of mine <laughs> who I used to work with in Qatar, uh, who is from Northern Ireland, said, Pakistan, Pakistan's a breeze. My own shop, she said, was blown up in um, Northern Ireland three times. <laughs> she used to run a shop. She said, I'll be happy to do business in Pakistan anytime. So if you're not frightened by these kind of things or you don't believe the propaganda, we like to call it, that the media puts out as to how bad things are, then there are many opportunities here for companies because they're looking for Western companies to come in and invest. Unfortunately, because there is so many other countries people can go and invest in, people are showing some reluctance at the moment to come here. But there are opportunities aplenty in Pakistan. Yes. Um, I guess some of those reasons you explained a little bit earlier might make people a little wary as well. Yes. <laughs> Different cultural things. And what, what are your thoughts on, for example, you know, personal safety while doing business? Because you're absolutely right. You know, if you listen to the media, then... You know, countries like Pakistan may not be perceived as uh, as safe as maybe they are. I mean, what, what's the reality on the ground, and what are your your recommendations? The uh, there are a lot of foreigners in Pakistan at the moment. Um, you know, there are obviously the diplomats. There are lots of people working in uh, uh, development sector organizations. 
There are some very big Chinese companies that are operating in Pakistan. Um, so you even got the likes of Standard, Standard Chartered Bank, which invested heavily in Pakistan. So there are foreigners working here, living here, and quite enjoying the life very much. But as a foreigner in these kind of countries, you're always uh, at a slight risk, especially if you stand out a little bit. So, you know, let me paint a picture. If you, if you have blonde hair and blue eyes, you're going to stand out in the crowd. And unfortunately, the way the uh, law and order situation is, it is a risk. Uh, whether it's a risk worth taking or not, everyone has to decide for themselves. But, you know, people do, some of these uh, extremist groups do tend to target foreigners and for no other reason except to, you know, extract money out of them. And uh, it's a little bit uncomfortable at times. So I can't say that it's totally safe, but it's certainly not as bad as um, it's portrayed in the media. Hmm. Uh, and what, what should we do to, do you think, to protect ourselves when we're in, you know, out in these kinds of markets, do you think? Well, firstly, if you have good uh, connections on the ground, uh, then things are very, very easy because you're taken to all the right places, you're kept away from any uh, areas where there may be any potential danger. So we were talking about having good local contacts. Uh, it's very, very crucial in Pakistan. If you were coming to see me, uh, you know, I would do anything at all to make sure you got home safely on the way back. Because if you, when you live here, you know exactly what to avoid, where to go, where not to go. It's not the sort of place where you can wander the streets at night or... Uh, or, you know, go for a walk uh, because you feel like walking. Now, certain parts of the city, absolutely you can do that. But you have to know which parts are safe and which are not. Mm. And uh, it's just having good on-the-ground knowledge which comes when you know local people. It can be like that in a few parts in the United Kingdom and a few cities. Absolutely. And Australia is the same. I mean, if you were in Sydney and you were in the back streets of King's Cross, you, yes. know, you wouldn't be guaranteed <laughs> of your safety. See, met one or two uh, dodgy characters when we were there with friends once upon a time. Absolutely, uh, didn't stay there too long. Um, should, I mean, should we? Do you really think? Let's let's go to the chase. Do you really think we should embrace countries like you know, like Pakistan and, and India, where maybe the cost of living might not be as high, you know, like you've done, or as outside? Do you think we could be wasting our time and better doing business closer to home? Well, it's a tough one, actually, Chris, because the only reason why I can work and live in Pakistan uh, is because I was born here, I think. One of my friends described me as a coconut, and initially I was puzzled by that description, and he said, you're brown on the outside, but white on the inside. <laughs> so it, it's still a challenge for me to work and live here, uh, but I'm getting more and more accustomed to it now. The reason why people should look at countries like Pakistan, India, and even Bangladesh is that they have massive populations. So uh, while the West, on the other hand, hasn't seen much population growth, some of the industries are sort of slowing down, there isn't the growth that companies can get, this part of the world offers a lot. And if you combine uh, China in that, those countries that I mentioned, you're talking about a massive population. So you really cannot ignore this part of the world. In fact, this you really have to embrace, uh, despite the challenges we spoke about, there are opportunities. And depending on the type of business you have, you really have no option but to look at these Asian countries. Mm. It's, uh, but, but, but clearly, think, think it all through very carefully. Yes, um, to make absolutely. Make and Chris, business, just like life itself, carries <laughs> lots of risks. So you need to decide which ones are worth taking. And that's really something that you have to decide as a business owner.
Mm. I mean, do you have any advice for you know people who may, for example, work in a business and they've got some of their call centers, for example, out in the out in India or or Pakistan or somewhere like that? How they should you know, build relationships with them so things work smoothly? Yes, I think one of the things you have to do is you have to spend time uh, with the local parties and getting to know them, understanding what their issues are, and make a bit of an effort to understand the culture. So in India, for example, uh, again, the call center business has been very successful, but the people started to have issues, mostly because they don't understand that in India, nobody will ever say no. If, I, if you ask me to do something and I'm sitting in India, whatever, however unreasonable your request is, I'm not going to say no. And unless you appreciate the, <laughs> that fact, you will be very disappointed repeatedly because I'll fail to deliver on every occasion. And that's something that people need to understand. The second thing is that you, if, you're, if you're building a sizable business, you must have your own people on the ground. So you cannot just leave it to the Indians or the Pakistanis. You have to send your own people here to train the people, make sure they understand the values and the way that you do your business. Otherwise, you will not get, uh, you'll basically get a half-baked solution to whatever problem you're wanting to solve. And how do you, how do you get over that problem of someone say, not saying no, just saying yes, 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 and not delivering? Because how do you really find out what the, what the problems are if, if someone is just saying they can do it all the time? Well, uh, once you understand that's part of the culture, then, you know, you have to actually interrogate. Instead of accepting a yes, you have to actually interrogate them. You have to break the task down into maybe smaller components, maybe have more regular reporting, all of those things to make sure that people stay on track. Um, and unless you understand that it's just against their culture to say no, then you will not, uh, you'll continue to be disappointed. Mm. And that's quite hard, I guess, for people who may be dealing with complex queries as well, you know, customers. If yes. you're dealing with a call center, you ask if you think maybe you're being routed through to somebody in, who's in the UK, United Kingdom, in Manchester or somewhere like that, you find yourself actually speaking to a call center in Mumbai or somewhere like that. Yes. And, <laughs> and they and, pretend that they're sitting in uh, somewhere in London <laughs> answering your phone call, but you know that's not the case. Well, they also used to, what used to make me laugh, actually, I don't, I've not, not heard it quite so much now, but you know, if you would ask someone's name, they would always be called Henry or Harry or... <laughs> yes. And in fact, one of the best ones I heard while in Dubai was someone called Johnny Walker. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, they use the these names, and sometimes you would even speak to the same person who had a, had a different name, or you'd speak to the you'd speak to Henry, and you knew you'd spoken to someone different with <laughs> using the same the same name. Doesn't seem to happen quite so much now, but uh, yeah, it, it could be quite uh, quite amusing and, and a bit off-putting. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we're going to go to commercial break again in a moment, and after the afterwards, we're going to start to look at um, how you can market and sell things in uh, these particular environments and also things like how do you handle you know, bribes and tips so we'll be back with you again in just another couple of minutes when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network Hi, I'm Rebecca Costa, host of the Costa Report every Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. 
This week, my guest is outspoken former congressman and one of our country's most prominent gay public figures, Mr. Barney Frank. He'll be with us to talk about the Supreme Court's ruling on DOMA and how the Obama presidency is doing in its second term. Don't miss Barney Frank this Tuesday at 6 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. on the Voice America Business Channel. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential? Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called the Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Be More, Achieve More with host Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to info at bemoreachievemore.com. That's info at bemoreachievemore.com. Now, back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper of com, and welcome to um, the show again, if you're just uh, listening in. And now we're talking about how to do business in the Middle East and Asia. I'm with Amir Qureshi. And Amir, what do you think we need to really understand about the way things are, are maybe marketed and sold, or best marketed and sold in these markets? Well, there's a few key things, uh, Chris. First of all, we have to, uh, the positive thing is that there is a lot of appetite for Western goods in the developing countries, especially as the middle classes are growing. Uh, the only issue is when you convert things from, you know, dollars or pounds into rupees or whatever currency there is, the capacity to pay may not be there. So you need to adapt your services or products to the market. So they may not be able to, like a pound, one or two pounds may not be a lot in the UK context, but two pounds in Pakistan is actually a lot of money at the moment, the way the currency is. Um, and the other thing people don't realize is that in these countries, you do have an elite population, which is extremely wealthy. So that creates its own set of opportunities. Then in terms of how you market your things in this part of the world, just remember that these are generally Islamic countries. So having sexy models, giving away bottles of alcohol or something like that isn't going to work. <laughs> you have to understand that family values and traditions are really important. Uh, and the religious views need to be considered when you're devising your marketing strategy or selling strategy as such. But there's certainly appetite for Western goods. Uh, companies have, could potentially do very well out of this part of the world. And, and do you have any tips if you're... A woman, uh, you know, a woman wanting to do business in those marketplaces. 
Well, interestingly enough, um, there are a lot of successful women entrepreneurs in Pakistan, particularly. And Pakistan is very positive in terms of uh, its uh, appreciation of successful women entrepreneurs. We don't have as many as we would like, but we do have some very successful women. So it, that isn't, uh, isn't necessarily uh, a problem at all, especially in Pakistan. Uh, in the Middle East, it can create challenges. Like a friend of mine who works out of Dubai, when she travels to Saudi Arabia for business, they're always asking her the same question, where, where is your husband, they say. <laughs> and she has to give a long explanation every time why she's traveling alone. In fact, a woman cannot travel to Saudi Arabia alone anyway, but by special permission. So certain countries have problems, but certainly in Pakistan, women are very, very welcome and there's lots of business opportunities. And how should we handle, we talked earlier about bribes and, you know, and, and tips and things like that. You know, this is something that is, in this marketplace, is quite sensitive. Companies offering bribes to trade in different marketplaces. Uh, how should we, how should well, we approach that? This is a good question. Uh, first, the first thing, piece of advice is that we have to handle them discreetly. The second thing is, on a more positive note, that it may not always be required. I mean, with my experience of working in Pakistan, now, okay, I may be working in a little cocoon uh, away from the day-to-day -day realities, harsh realities of, the, of doing business, but I've not had to actually give any bribes to anyone. But, of course, I speak to a lot of people who have to, even to do sometimes simple things like, you know, get your payment processed, you may have to give a commission to someone. Uh, but I suppose you have to think of them as marketing, <laughs> marketing expenses and just uh, treat them accordingly. Right. Um, okay. Um, so you have, to think of, you have to think of it in terms of a commission, do you? Yes. I mean... I, uh, Again, I have not had to do this personally, but I know in many organizations, if you're expecting a large payment, uh, you have to come to some arrangement with the accounts department. Uh, they may take a commission of 5% or something of your uh, invoice uh, before the payment will be released. And if you don't do that, the payment would then be stretched out for several weeks longer. Wow. So, so would that money actually go to the accounts department and into their own pocket to fund their salaries? or uh, No, it would uh, go... Well, I don't know exactly how they'll account for it, but basically the intention is that the accounts department staff will end up with that payment or it could go to the top as well. So it could be a, a sort of a pyramid structure where the CEO down to the accounting department are all sharing in it. Uh, that could be one scenario. And is that legal in your marketplace or is it just... Oh, it's absolutely not legal. No, <laughs> it's not. But uh, again, you know, it's something that happens uh, so I'm told. And unless you uh, facilitate this kind of arrangement, then, you know, your payment would be stuck for several weeks. Mm. These are all uh, first-hand stories that I've heard from people I've done business with or friends and associates, etc. So, unfortunately, it is common in this part of the world, uh, these kind of things. But uh, thankfully, I've not had to deal with them personally so far. Mm. Uh, and how can we ensure that... Any, any tips on ensuring that your business is profitable? You, you know, you, um, your cost of doing business will be different with the, uh, the ability of people to you know, afford to trade with you, etc., because of different um, values of money, etc. Any, any tips on doing business profitably? 
There's a few key things, Chris, I think, that people often overlook. Uh, when you come to this part of the world, you come across people who are very smooth, very slick, and you don't necessarily expect them to shortchange you when you start doing business. Whereas generally, that's exactly what happens. So the first thing is you need to find a good team and you have to make sure that these people are actually loyal to you. And you have to have your own people on the ground. If you're serious about doing business in, uh, in uh, this part of the world, then your people from the UK, United States or Australia should be willing to come and spend some time or make frequent visits. Without that, you cannot be certain of what's going to happen. The autopilot approach to business will not work in this part of the world. And you really need to devote time. And what you have to decide as a business person is whether you can afford to give, give this much time to this market because it will take a little bit of time to develop and mature. Uh, and in summary, let me put it this way. In my uh, first book, The A to Z of a Healthy Small Business, I came up with my own steps to success. And I think this is really what you need to do when you go to a new market. Can I just share them with you, Chris? Yeah, please do. So it goes something like this. Uh, to succeed in, in your own business, you need to strategize, systemize, synergize, supervise, and be dollar-wise. If you do all of those things, you're going to be successful. And the same concept applies to going to a new market, whether it's Asia or Middle East. Strategize, systemize, supervise, and be dollar-wise. Synergize was Syner- the other one. Synergize. And what is well that? done, Chris. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> and what, is, what, what, do you, what do you mean by synergize? Synergize is just making sure that everyone's on the same page. They're singing out of the same hymn book, as we say, and uh, so we're pulling in the same direction. Okay, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Uh, is is that uh, is are your books available on the you know around all markets or? Well, the uh, uh, the e version of my book is about to come out. The A to Z will be coming out in the next uh, few days, so it'll be on um, iTunes or and as well as. Uh, on Kindle. So I decided to join the techno- technological age and actually make up, come up with the electronic versions of these. Excellent. Well, I've just, um, just realised the, the time. And I just want to just very, very quickly, because we've just got about a minute and a half left, um, ask you, what you if you've got any key messages that you'd like to leave us with. There's just a couple of quick things just to remind the listeners, I suppose, that when we talk about Middle East, it's very diverse and it varies a lot. So you cannot generalize and you have to know which specific country we're talking about. Again, Asia is huge and your approach to business varies from country to country, sometimes within the countries themselves, like in Malaysia, the difference between the Chinese and the Indians and the Malays. And the final message for your listeners, Chris, is, The rest of the world is very different from the United States, the UK, or the land of Oz. So when you go to do business, be prepared. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Amir. And uh, I've made some good notes there in case uh, I ever decide to venture into those marketplaces myself. Um, I hope uh, people have got lots from this. Um, For more information on Amir Qureshi, go to amirq.com. That's A-M-E-R-Q.com. If you've got any questions or feedback, send them to me at chris at bemoreachievemore.com. Leave them on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash bemoreachievemore. Um, on next week's show, I'm delighted to welcome one of what I think is one of the best speakers I've ever seen. His name's Steve Head, and he's going to join me to talk about the value of happiness and how to improve your happiness as a leader and improve morale in the workplace for considerable results. I'm 
absolutely sure that will be an outstanding show. And once again, Amir, thanks very much. I hope you've enjoyed being on today. Thank you, Chris. It's been a real pleasure. And it's been great um, having you, you uh, live from Pakistan, uh, linked in to our producers um, in Phoenix. And thank you, Kevin, for producing the show today. And I wish you all a tremendous week, and I look forward to speaking to you again very shortly. Thank you for listening to Be More, Achieve More. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, typically 4 p.m. London on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.